we all know that the Calgary Flames are not scoring enough to win, and we're going to unpack and examine why on today's episode of Lockdown Flames. Your Locked On Flames, your daily podcast on the Calgary Flames, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Locked On Flames. As always, I'm your host, Jess Belmosto, joined by my partner in crime, Nick Zeraris. Nick, how are you today? I'm a little sad I stayed up to watch the Flames lose last night, but other than that, it's Friday, the sun is shining, it's not yeah. a bad start to the fr- to the day. Yeah, you know, for the first time in franchise history, the Flames took a point on their way out of Vegas, so I guess we can count that as some sort of silver lining and we're going to kind of unpack this lack of offense and why it's not doing enough in order to win these games that are absolutely winnable especially in their 22nd one goal game loss and as always make sure you're subscribed to locked on flames wherever you get your podcasts and of course follow us on youtube as well it's free just come hang out with us let's have a discussion in the comments yesterday i gave you an assignment you did of kind of looking at the the goals and seeing where they're scoring where they're not in special teams because i feel like Now that the power play has kind of gotten it together a little bit, the penalty kill is slipping, and we're not seeing any 5-on-5 scoring. Yeah, anecdotally, your assumption was correct, that the bulk of the flame scoring came at 5-on-5, that they weren't getting a lot Mm -hmm. on the power play, and what they were getting on the power play was very inconsistent. Yesterday, so the stats I have are from yesterday before the game against Vegas, Before yesterday, they were scoring a power play goal once every eight minutes or so. Eight minutes of power play time. And that's with the Flames averaging, where did I write it down? The eighth most power play time of any team in the league. They have 308 minutes and 13 seconds of power play time through games up till yesterday, prior to the game against Vegas. And they had scored all of 37 power play goals in that time. 18th most power play goals with the eighth most power play time. So anecdotally, you're... Your assumption was correct that the Flames were getting a lot of opportunities on the power play but weren't scoring. We've known this. The Flames have been in the 20s for power play conversion rate all season. They do mm-hmm. not have they don't have a bread and butter, something to fall back on. They don't have anybody with a wicked one-timer to tee up. They don't have an elite net front guy for tips and deflections. They really have to work for their offense. A lot of the time, their best play is a cross-seam pass where the person who receives the pass can take a step or two into their stride and take a a shot from a skating position, something you would see more likely at five on five with sustained zone time as opposed to on the power play, because on the power play, you want to be able to exploit the space. For the Flames, the way they exploit the space, they get the puck and they skate into that open space as opposed to passing the puck into open space. And there are merits to both. Good power plays feature both you 
feature both of those styles. You don't want to be overly reliant on one thing. But the Flames' best pure shooter is probably Tyler Toffoli, who's had an okay run on the power play. Uh, he's got eight power play goals. He's shooting 5.9%. He's got 42 shots on the power play. So he scored eight of those 42. So that speaks to just a general not really having anything to fall back on. Because they, a lot of these plays are being forced to be made on an individual level. It's kind of like isolation plays in basketball where everybody kind of clears out at, for one guy to make a play and doesn't get in their way. That's kind of the way the Flames' power play has operated this year because they don't have anybody to orchestrate their power play through. They don't have an elite facilitator to bring people to him to create space for others. They don't have an elite shooter. So you get a power play with no real direction or that's liable to concede chances going the other way because things are constantly moving. It, it's it's a real challenge and it's something that probably can't be fixed at this point in the season it's something that they're going to have to make do with for as long as they can and then in the off season they'll either need to address the alignment of how they choose to run their power play if they want to go to something a little more passive from a one three one that they currently run if they want to change what personnel is on what unit if they can bring somebody in from the outside who's more of a power play specialist there's no straightforward answer for the in-house guys how to fix this no, and, you know, I think leading up to last night, you had a very exciting power play, um, really, team uh, against Arizona. You know, you had yeah. three power play goals, and I feel like for the longest time, we weren't seeing anything. We were begging to decline penalties. Like, no, please, like, it's okay. We don't need it. Um, we're not, this really isn't an advantage for us it's an advantage for the other team. Uh, but I think one of, you know, I know these stats are from uh, ahead of, or prior to last night's game, but I felt like the performance of last night's power play units were, was pretty good. I thought that, you know, the way that they were down low by the crease and they were able to like actually shoot. I think they had five shots, uh, on during one power play which is pretty good that's a lot that's a lot generally speaking most power plays you're going to get two or three registered as shots on goal as opposed to scoring chances which are two different things shots on goal you know they have to hit the net can't be the post that kind Mm -hmm. of thing whereas a scoring chance can be deflected it can be blocked it can miss the net all of those things so but yeah five five shots on goal during a two-minute power play is pretty good and you had asked what the split was. And they, the Flames, are what's it called? They score 69% of their goals at 5-on-5, five five, which is the fifth most of any team in the entire NHL. The teams, ahead, the teams ahead of them, two very bad teams in Montreal and San Jose. <laughs> and then Seattle and who was the other one? The Islanders. Yeah, Seattle and the Islanders. The Islanders have a historically awful power play. The Islanders have had a bad power play basically since John Tavares left because they don't have any other facilitators. Their power play is Matt Barzell skating around the perimeter of the zone with the puck on his stick, waiting for somebody else in the zone to get open to make a play, or Anders Lee deflecting a puck in. That's really all they have, especially with no Devontae's either now. It's been a couple years since they had him to run their power play. So, yeah, but generally speaking, you see teams that are overly reliant on scoring a 5-on-5. They don't feature elite players. 
They do not feature elite players. You think about Montreal, they have a couple of nice players. A Nick Suzuki, he's pretty good, but he's not an elite player. The Sharks, Sharks, you would expect their power play to be a little bit better with Eric Carlson, with Logan Couture, with Timo Meyer. You would expect the Sharks to be a little bit more reliant, to get more out of their power play. Seattle, not a team with a lot of high-end talent. Matty Beniers is having a nice season. I think he scored his 19th goal last night against the Bruins. That was a pretty good game for the people who stayed up late. But generally speaking, yeah, you need more from your power play to just lighten the load. That's really how you got to think about it. And I know a lot of people don't like to reduce it to a simple math problem but most nights you need to find a way to score at least four goals yeah if you can get one from your power play then you only need three at five on five right now the way the flames play they need four at five on five and it's a lot harder to score at five on five than it is to score at five on four again this sounds very simple and straightforward but the entire point of having the power play penalty kill system is if you mess up it is supposed to be a consequence it's supposed to be more difficult to defend against not easier and and for the teams like the flames that struggle on the power play other teams are like okay this is fine for us we have a better chance at four on five than we do at five on five of not letting you score yeah, and you know, I know that, you know, power plays in really special teams as a whole can, you know, falter throughout the season and, you know, Yeah, they have highs and lows. They have highs and yeah. lows. They go through those streaks of, you know, greatness and then they're like you can't buy a power play goal. And I feel like for the Flames, it's kind of just not it's not there. And you know, I think people are going to say, well, you know, they they just scored four power play goals in in three periods. Yes, but that's an anomaly here. We're not yes. this is very uh, short time period. We're talking about 50 something games here. And for me, I think one of the biggest just critical thinking aspects of this is like you said, there's a consequence for hooking. You who are hooked should have some sort of advantage, but it's like the opposite. It's like other teams are very, they know. It's almost yeah. like, hey, if I go out there and, oh, I trip someone, oh, no, heaven forbid, you know, a little holding, they know that they are they are going to have a better scoring chance, even though they're down a man. And that's, you know, just something that could factor into some Yeah, no, if you're not afraid of the consequences, yeah. If you feel like you have a good penalty kill and you're it's a 50-50 play and if you take the penalty, you're definitely taking away a chance from them scoring at 5 on 5, you do it 100 times out of 100. It's like in football when a defensive back gets burned and they tackle the guy so he can't catch the ball. Yeah, you'd rather take the pass interference than let the other team score a touchdown. It, yeah. it, it's that type of risk assessment that you have to make. And one last thing on this before we move on, it's the power play especially is somewhere where confidence is really going to be a part and we know the flames have struggled with that all season long that they've been really pressed they've been really stressed out they're really feeling the pressure that they need to perform and you're all your high-end guys are out there on your power play and that is an area where you're going to feel that extra pressure to perform you're going to be if you're not feeling particularly good about your game you're going to be holding your stick too tight you're going to be missing the net you're going to be getting your shot blocked on the way in and that's where it snowballs on you. When a defenseman takes a shot, it gets blocked right back to them at the point on the power play, and then they quickly try and shoot again. That's the panic. That's the, oh, that that wasn't supposed to happen. I got to get rid of it. Got to get rid of it. And then the puck's going the other way, and it's a shorthanded chance for the other team. 
It's really confidence-based, and as a fl- the Flames have really struggled with confidence all year. They've had a good run. They had a good run from mid-December till about the last week of January, I would say. They had a really good for- run of form where they won like 14 games and mm-hmm. only lost a handful. They had a really good run for a while there, but largely they haven't been able to. They haven't. They haven't been able to find a way. In a lot of these games, the good teams, they find a way to win them. They right. find a way when the game gets dicey. Last night, the second Vegas goal, you felt it coming. Calgary Calgary was kind of on their heels. Vegas was circling and circling. A lot of scoring chances. And you knew they were going to score. And then you're like, okay, can Calgary get the next goal? If they don't get the next goal, they're probably not winning this game. Even if it gets to overtime or the shootout, you don't feel good about it if you've conceded a two-goal lead. Because you know that's weighing on the guys on the that ah damn we oh, blew another two goal lead especially because they blew a two goal lead last week to Ottawa it really starts to weigh on you and all of this all of these intangible things the emotions the psychology riding the highs and lows it's all interconnected and no that wasn't a Riverdale reference <laughs> and coming up next we are absolutely going to continue this conversation and just put things into perspective in a way that you know, might help ease the burn of last night's win, or loss rather. And before we dive into that, though, I do want to tell you about FanDuel Sportsbook. It is the midway point of the NBA season, and it is the perfect time to download the FanDuel app. It is America's number one sportsbook because new customers get the no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. Last night, I decided to use uh, my bonus bet on a Jake DeBrusque goal, and I ended up winning $8. So you There know we what? go. Like, I felt so proud. I, lo- I won on my Jeremy Swayman and um, whoever it was at Grubauer in that. Yeah. 20 plus saves each and then Tyler Toffoli you didn't hit so I didn't uh didn't go three for three but that's okay it makes the games more entertaining to watch oh, for sure especially that game last night Bruins against the Kraken was so fun high energy felt like a playoff game just we need more of that and then if you can add more excitement to it definitely uh check out FanDuel and they let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss a chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That is fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports book of the NBA. Did you place any bets last night? I had the over in the Oilers-Penguins game, which hit very early, which was very fun. And I'm going to um, the Islanders and the Kings game tonight, and I'm going very grossly going to have to bet on the under because neither of those teams score goals. But But it's not fun to root for defense. It's wow. not fun. No one wants to, but yeah, I'll do that. And maybe I'll do like Kevin Fiala shots on goal or something like that. Yeah. Just to have a little something to keep me entertained. I, I almost uh, bet placed a bet on a Huberto goal, which would have gotten me like 16, 17 bucks. And I didn't because I was like, there's no way he's scoring naturally. Right. But we talked about the power play. We talked a little bit about five on five. I feel like the penalty kill is something that has 
definitely slipped. It's... I would attribute that more to the goaltending issue Mm -hmm. than the performance of the penalty kill itself. They've largely been fine most of the season. I'm pulling it up right now. They're... They're 13th now. Yeah, because they were top five for quite a while, but I would attribute it more to the goaltending issue than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, go- it, it's a cliche that the old heads love to say. This is something you'll hear on every single intermission panel on every single network in North America is your goalie's your best penalty killer. And when your goalie doesn't have a ton of confidence, it's going to affect the way your penalty kill performs. You know Tanev is dinged up. He's a very good penalty killer. You know Mackenzie Weger has kind of had a... He's played well, but he's definitely had a bit of a rough go of it at points. There was a really bad turnover he had in the game the other night where it was purely just, bro, just move the puck. You don't get... You don't... Sometimes you got to know when you're doing too much. And that's something I, that's a real key to this is just knowing when you're doing too much. And yeah, the kill, I think that's largely, and they also do take a decent amount of penalties. That's another issue is they have the penalty kill has to be out there a lot. It is tiring. It is taxing to play four on five. You're, you know, four guys responsible for the space of five guys. So that accumulates, but largely not going to be able to do much. It's the same thing as the power play. Like, you can tweak who's on each unit, but you're not really going to tinker what you do as a penalty kill. You, I mean, you have guys who are good at that skill set. You have a Blake Coleman. You have a Michael Backlund. You have Manjapani. You have so Dube, Kadri. You have a lot of guys who have a skill set that would lend itself to playing strong, playing well on the penalty kill. It just hasn't been there the last couple of weeks. It's been a rough run of form, as you were saying. So I was looking at um, stats and I was talking with Steph last week about the Wranglers and how their Mm -hmm. penalty kill is first in the AHL. And as a Rangers fan, have you seen Kevin Rooney on the penalty kill? Yeah, that that was one of the things that they cited for, like, I remember watching in the video in the offseason of them talking to the general manager and being like, so why did you sign this guy who was like, you know, a fringe NHL player the first day of free agency? Yeah, the devil said the eighth-ranked penalty kill in the league. We thought he might be able to help win some face-offs. He's fine. I mean, he doesn't... Ideally, you would like your penalty killers to either be fast and big or mm-hmm. small and fast because you want them to be able to cover more space. Yeah. Rooney is more or less just a guy. He's a competent penalty killer. Yeah, he's he's a little bit more than a body, but generally speaking, if your main skill set, like your lore, uh, your all lore to teams is you're a good penalty killer, that typically means you're a bottom of the lineup guy. If you're a plus faceoff guy, that's a little bit different. If you're a center who kills penalties and you can win like consistently 53, 54%, okay, that's maybe worth more of a shot than other guys, but Rooney's fine. I don't think that would make a much of a difference for the Flames uh, on the penalty kill. I don't think that would really swing things one way or another. He's just another guy i was interested to hear what you had to say about that because you know you you saw a lot of a lot of rune dog action in the tri-state area and you know just with how he's playing in well in the ahl almost said in stockton but no they've moved and uh you know i'm just just wanted to pick your brain on that yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Unfortunately, that is what my brain is used for, is remembering miscellaneous hockey players. Remembering some guys, that is the use of my the usefulness of my brain. That is all I'm really hey. good at. 
that and Taylor Swift lyrics because yeah. everyone knows that's all that's going on up in my brain. How how do you think the Flames could elevate their penalty kill? Not that it's not that it's bad by any means, but like I just I feel like you know obviously lately it has slipped. And do you think it really is? on the goaltending like com- not completely but a majority of the responsibility uh we should take markstrom to like a psychic we should get his tarot cards read we should try a summoning circle yeah. crystals essential oils anything you can think of to get markstrom's head right because that's really the only real way to change your results on special teams is to change the personnel because you're not going to change your systems in season. Hockey teams don't do that. This isn't this isn't the NFL where you have a different game plan for every single week. Every single you, the NHL hockey is more is similar to soccer where if you're struggling, the coach is going to just double down and say we need to do what we're doing but better as opposed to trying to change what you're doing. So yeah, that, there really isn't a way in season for the Flames to change anything aside from changing the personnel and maybe trying to figure out what's going on with the goaltending i'm definitely interested to see how you know the end of the season um and off season is kind of approached especially when it comes to markstrom um people have talked about i mean by people i mean like for facebook comments in those facebook groups but about buying him out and it's just it's, you don't do that, number one. It's uh, not financially prudent. It, it no. wouldn't make sense to have that buyout considering, yeah, he hasn't played that well this year. But at the end, you don't want to pay him to not play. And you don't know if Dustin Wolf can play at the NHL level yet. So right. you would rather wait and see on that. If Wolf can, then we can have that discussion about Markstrom after next season. That maybe you buy him mm-hmm. out in the buyout window then out of the last year of that deal. And you go with Wolf and Fladar in 23-24. But yeah. in, in, no, 24-25. Math is hard. It, it's a little <laughs> early. Um, the coffee still hasn't hit the bloodstream yet. You know, it's okay. It's Friday morning. By the time people are listening to this, they're probably, like, just getting to their offices and, like, also drinking their coffee. But, you know, I think another thing about the goaltending is you can't, like you said, you can't bank on Dustin Wolf being ready for the NHL and having that success, that immediate success that we basically saw with Vladar. But um, the other thing is, it gives Markstrom, you know, obviously that time. And then you're kind of in a better cap situation because by the time all of that kind of transpires in terms of Dustin Wolf's possible call-up, you have a little bit more leniency with the no trade clause, the no movement clauses. Um, And I believe like Blake Coleman, he is also on a modified uh, no trade clause um, yes. next year as well, or the year after. So you have some more wiggle room with that, and it's less risky if you were to do it now. Like, there's no reason to say, hey, we're buying you out. We're going to call up this child from the AHL. Mm. We hope that it works. While you were talking, I pulled up the uh, the buyout calculator on Cap Friendly. I mean, if they were to buy out Markstrom after this season, he'd have a cap hit, a dead cap hit of one point six six six, repeating for 
five, six seasons after this season. So it's not a terribly cost prohibitive amount. No. But I, I think it's more, more back to what I was saying before of then you're putting all your eggs in the Dustin Wolf and Vladar basket, which maybe they're fine, maybe they're not. But I would, I think you'd, I don't, first of all, I don't think you could talk. Daryl into rolling with a rookie goalie and somebody with less than 100 career NHL starts and saying, okay, make the playoffs. I don't think that's just not the way he operates. I don't think you could do that. But there's a lot of reasons why I don't think it would happen. Sure, you can make the argument that maybe they should do it and try and clear up a little cap space and have a little more flexibility. But at the same time, I I, I don't think it will. Not that it shouldn't or won't, but I don't think it will. Yeah. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about some more of your Calgary Flames. And thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us today on this wonderful Friday. I know it's been absolutely bitter cold in Calgary, so make sure you have your hand warmers, gloves, hats, and scarves. And uh, make sure you're also following us on Twitter at Jess Belmosto and Nick Zararis. What do you make of last night's game? Vegas is a better team. Well, it's that we, Vegas, Vegas has that. more Vegas has more high-end players. When they needed a play, Jack Eichel said, okay, we'll do this. Pet- overtime, Petrangelo, okay, I'll do it. That That's really what it comes down to. And a lot of these one-goal games, and you said 22? 22. 22 one-goal games. When the margin for error is small, the difference maker are the elite players. It's the same thing mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Everybody in the playoffs likes to harp on the fifth defenseman. Like I saw somebody saying the re- I saw I think it was Steve Dangle's producer arguing with somebody on Twitter. Like, well, yeah, the Avs won the cup because they got Josh Manson. Well, Josh Manson was like the fifth defenseman. Well, the Lightning won the Stanley Cup because of Barkley Goodrow and Yon. The Lightning won the Stanley Cup because twice because Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point were almost two point per game players <laughs> for two playoffs right. in a row. You win because your high-end players win. Your high-end players carry you. In those close games, in those difficult situations, you win when your high-end players outplay the other team's high-end players. Right now, the Flames' high-end players aren't doing that. So the other team's high-end players are saying, oh, we'll take this. Thank you very much. That's really all it comes down to in these one-goal games. Sure, you could attribute it to some bad luck. That's definitely part of this, too. Everybody... It's very easy to reduce hockey to just you, you won or you lost, but a good 40-50% of this stupid sport is you got unlucky. There, Hockey is the most luck-dependent of the four major sports because there are so many variables that go into every single play. It's just, yeah. it just That's the way the game is, unfortunately. There is a good percent of hockey that we're never really going to be able to explain, to quantify, to define just because of the nature of the sport, the way it's played. It's not conducive to being analyzed to every minute detail like baseball. We cannot measure the rotations of the puck the way you can the rotations of a breaking pitch in baseball. There just simply isn't enough information within hockey to quantify it to the degree that baseball has. That's not to say you can't get a little bit better. Like I was talking the other day about more descriptive statistics like detailed face-offs, detailed hits. Like that kind of stuff, sure. But you're never going to be able to explain hockey the way you can baseball because there's just too much in hockey that's random. There is just... A shot gets released, it can hit a divot in the ice, it can hit someone's leg, it can hit a stick, it can hit a butt cheek, it can hit a chest. A puck can hit anything on the way to the net between the stick and the shot. So there's just too much variance to really try and 
say you have the answer to everything. And that's yeah. unsatisfying to some people. To some people, it's unsatisfying to say, hey, we'll never know. And I'm one of those people. I like <laughs> knowing the answer to things. I read Wikipedia at 2 in the morning because I oh, want yeah. to know things that are going on. So I am constantly trying to say, well, what is every team doing? If I can't figure out if I can't figure out the right answer, I'm going to figure out the best answer possible. Yeah. Like you know how you get partial credit on a test? Oh yeah. That kind that kind of thing. That well, saved if, me in high school. Yeah. If <laughs> there's not if there's if there's not a right answer, I'm gonna copy the avalanche's answer. I'm gonna copy what the yeah. lightning's answer is, what the uh, the uh, hurricane's answer is, yeah. what the Bruins' answer is, what teams who have success. That is the way. You have to copy what the successful teams are doing because there is no one way to play hockey the way there is one, two ways to play the other sports. No, absolutely. And I um, I just, I think it's so interesting. Like, you know, you're talking about all the possibilities of what can happen on a puck's way in. I just, the first thing I thought of was Rasmus Anderson's shot from the blue line against the Oilers in the playoffs. Yeah. That doesn't happen. There's a reason why everyone was so astonished by it. And so, like, what, like, how, how does this happen? And, you, you know, that putt could have hit a butt cheek, a helmet, anything on its way in. Like, you don't know, but it still went in. And, yeah, sure, Mike Smith probably couldn't have stopped the beach ball, but that doesn't matter because Rasmus Anderson still shot it from behind the blue line into the net. And, you know, I, there are so many variables. The flames in that gosh darn post is one of them. That is one of the things that has killed this team this year. And people are saying, you know, oh, well, like we should make the nets bigger. That's not, what does that do? What does that do for your goalie? I'm all, for, I'm all for more offense. I've long said the NHL should make the nets a couple inches bigger. They don't have to be lacrosse big, but make yeah. them a couple inches wider. Make them maybe two, three inches wider, an inch or two taller. You want to incentivize offense. You want to incentivize teams to be aggressive and to play in an exciting fashion. You don't want what we've kind of seen three-on-three overtime reduced to, where teams pass out of the zone, change, get sustained zone, don't take a single shot, reset, come out of the zone, change again. You want to incentivize it, but I, I don't think I don't think you're going to get Gary to change the size of the nets. Maybe another commissioner who's forward-thinking, but you're not going to get Gary to do it. Yeah, so um, in a different lifetime, when uh, Ovi's great-great-grandkids are playing in the league, if the world has not burned itself to the ground yet uh by that point we may see that but you know i think it's just really interesting you know obviously um like baseball you want to see those home runs you want to see your team score i kind of like pitchers duels like those one-off occasions like it's it's just interesting to watch like you know like the uh markstrom and ottinger that was so like it was frustrating but it was just incredible to watch because they made those was super high leverage every single play mattered yeah. so much because goals were at such a premium it's the same thing with pitchers duels yeah. the difference is the home run is the most efficient way to score in baseball you only yeah. need one swing whereas if you get a single you got to move them over you got to move them over you got to mm-hmm. drive them in hockey has yet to have that revolution it has yet to find its peak efficiency which i which is partly rooted in its randomness you can't only play hockey one way because 
that way might just not work on a given day. And yeah, you could say that in baseball with the home run only offense. You've seen a number of teams struggle to break through that glass ceiling who only rely on home runs for their offense. But I think there's more to squeeze in hockey. I definitely think there's another tier of efficiency we haven't gotten to yet. My working theory is that it'll be positionless hockey where you'll have a floating type where you'll probably end where you'll probably end up with a, a three and a three one and one where you'll have one true def- traditional defenseman, a floater who's more of a fo- who's got more of what we would consider a forward skill set, but it lines up traditionally where you would have a defenseman and go from there. Because I do think, I do think teams care about defense way too much in a sport that's very low scoring to begin with. I, I do think Daryl Sutter, this yeah. But no, I agree with you. I I think that would be an interesting uh, thing to kind of bring into the game. I think again, we would need a very forward thinking coach, and we need somebody with nothing to lose. Right. All right, Marty St. Louis, if you're listening, the Canadians don't matter. Try this. Yeah, try this. Um, and come to Chipotle again on a day where I'm not working, so I can just go hang out with you guys. Um, but. I think that's it for today. Nick, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Hang on. There was one thing, yes, because they are play. This, I don't want to say the season's going to come down to, like, the next week and a half, but they play the Wild twice in the next week, and that's more or less going to be your season because that's the team you're in direct competition with for that last Wild card spot. You've also got the Bruins, the Leafs, and oh dallas sprinkled in there so yeah you really need to win those two games against minnesota because you're probably not winning any of those other ones no uh that's gonna be absolutely brutal to play um you know the eastern conference teams and then dallas has just been i i said that they were gonna have a regression this year in terms of offense and maybe just because those guys are getting older but I was very wrong. So no, I very wrong. They they look good. Um, I I'm scared. I, I, they really need to win these two games and get two full points because yes. you are slipping beyond uh, your pretend. You're skating on thin ice when it comes to holding on to a, a possible white uh, wild card spot. Yeah, definitely, definitely. A lot of the models have really kind of I don't want to hammer down on the flames in the last week for making the playoffs um well uh, hockey viz has them the first team out in the west money puck has them the last team in in the west so it really depends where you look but for the most part everybody's kind of bull, uh, bearish on the uh, flames at the moment yeah you know uh I'm pulling up money puck right now for playoff odds yeah no it's why won't you just give me the circle? Oh, just kidding. I have to scroll down further. But yeah, no. Um, right now their playoffs spot is like a 73% chance of, like, of making it. Um, good luck with that. Um, that's slipped drastically. But it's also increased because I think the last time or one of the last times I looked, it was like a 50%. So congrats. Uh, Seattle has a 90% chance, which is, I think that's, fun but not for the flames seattle's fun to watch i'll give them that they're entertaining to watch they play a very energetic style yeah i i like it i like the youth movement that they've kind of got but um also shout out to jacob pelletier who has had two career multi-point games 
back to back now. So congrats. Um, my goodness, it's Friday. Everyone enjoy the weekend. Be safe. Stay warm. Be responsible with whatever you're doing. Nick, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Everyone have a good weekend. Yeah, that's that's really it. Just keep keep your vibes positive. <laughs> so, and just be like, it's just hockey. It's just a silly game. I say that, and then I also scream at the television sometimes. So, everyone have a good weekend, and I will see you uh, later, or no, Monday, because it's it's Friday. <laughs> Thank you, everyone.